All right. Would you guys give it up for our children's worship team? Thank you guys so much. Man, I absolutely love that, that the church gets to worship together from birth till much older, not death because we wouldn't be here, but we get to worship the Lord and be edified. So thank you so much, children ministry team, for that. Thank you. Um, well, I don't know how to follow that up, but we're going to do our best, so <laughs> bear with me. Um, well, my name is Chad Lowe. I'm the interim campus pastor here at Tri-Village Church, and I'm so thankful that you are worshiping with us this morning. Um, if this is your first time here, I just want to say welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I think this is a great Sunday to be here. We are in the middle of our Advent series. Um, also, if you're new, I, I'm going to be standing by the steps after the service. I'd love to greet you, shake your hand, get to know you. We have a saying here at Tri-Village Church, and we haven't said it for a little while, but it's so, so true. At many churches you come and you are welcomed. But here you're not just welcomed. You are welcomed, you are wanted, and you are needed here. We believe that. You are welcomed, wanted, and needed here at Tri-Village Church. We would not be Tri-Village Church without you. And so we're so grateful that you're here. Um, we are in a series, we're in the middle of our Advent series called The Promise of Christmas, where we are looking at five different people or groups of people and the way that their interaction, their life intersects with the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be continuing to look at that. And as we look at that, we're going to see what the Lord is teaching them, what they need is similar to what we need in our lives today. And so today we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And so we are going to be in Matthew chapter 1 as we look at Joseph. So would you please open up to Matthew chapter 1, and would you please stand with me as we read God's word? We're going to be reading from Matthew 1 verses 18 through 23. If you're with me, say amen. All right, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you came to earth. Lord, that you came to earth to save us, that you are with us. Lord, we thank you that we have your word, we have your spirit, Lord, that you continue to be with us now. Lord, we pray as we read your word, as we study what you have taught Joseph and, and what you're teaching us, Lord, that we would be open to receive it. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see you at work. We would have ears to hear the truths of your gospel. And Lord, through your spirit, that we would live lives changed. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from any distraction. You would protect us from anything that would cause us to, to not listen to the truths of your word. Be with us this morning. Lord, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, God. You are my rock and redeemer. I pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So this past Friday, Jayla and I celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary, which was pretty awesome. Um, it's kind of wild to have a wedding anniversary fall on Friday the 13th, but it worked out. Um, 
But we've actually become a little apprehensive on our wedding anniversary because for the last few years, um, we've had uh, some trying circumstances take place on our wedding anniversary. Three years ago, um, when we lived in downtown Wheaton, um, Jayla worked just down the road from our apartment, and as she was driving home, we were going to go out to dinner to celebrate. Um, she was stopped at a stoplight just a couple blocks away, and her car was rear-ended and then pushed into the car in front of her. And so what was going to be a, a wonderful night together ended up being a night where Jayla sat in a police car <laughs> to stay warm and just waited. It was a really crappy way to celebrate your anniversary. <laughs> um, and then last year, um, we were... We were getting ready to actually move up here to the Streamwood area. We just lived down the road from, from this building right now. And so we were going to be moving the next day. And so in order to like pack everything up and get ready to move, we decided that instead of doing a dinner, we were going to do an a anniversary breakfast. And then we were going to spend the day packing. And so we're driving to like our favorite breakfast place, which is Buttermilk. And we like the one in Geneva. Um, it's really good. And um, so we were super excited to go there. We've been like planning this and preparing for it. And we're driving there and, and I'm stopped at the stoplight just across the street and our transmission dies. And I'm stuck there. We're just stuck. We can't move or we're just, we're stuck. We can see where we want to go. We just can't get there. And, um, and so car issue, we just resolved that we shouldn't drive on our anniversary. Like that's just... We should just be really careful. Well, actually, we did drive this anniversary. Everything was fine. We were great. It was wonderful. Um, but we've experienced unfortunate circumstances. The, the point of that story is to show that sometimes you have a plan. You, you have something that you are looking forward to, longing towards, something that you're, you're enjoying, and then all of a sudden your plan gets changed. Unfortunate circumstances present themselves in our lives, and they, they leave us wondering what to do next. Or maybe instead of uh, spending money for a breakfast anniversary, you're spending money to repair or buy a new car. And, and I feel like in the Christmas season, or even the, the greater holiday season of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, it, it can bring to surface these unfortunate circumstances in our lives. Sometimes it can bring about unfortunate circumstances in our lives. Maybe it's, it's similar where you have an unexpected bill for a repair or, or for something for your home, or maybe even a medical bill. Christmas season is where family and friends come together. Maybe there's estranged relationships, loss of friendships, betrayal, biting and cutting words to each other. Maybe these unfortunate circumstances, this is the first season, the first Christmas, where you're going to be spending without a loved one. There are different circumstances that we face, but what we see in the life of Joseph is that he is faced with an unfortunate circumstance. And in fact, his circumstance is unique. He is the only human being who has and will ever have to deal with what he had to deal with. He is uniquely alone in this. And there's a lot that we can learn from his circumstance, from the way he dealt with it, from the way he went about it. And so we're going to be looking at this through three points. And these three points is we're going to be looking at, first, the unfortunate circumstance that Joseph was facing. We're going to look at this unexpected plan that he had in light of the circumstance and then this unfathomable grace that he receives. So let's begin by looking at this unfortunate circumstance. We see in verse 18, it says that his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. They were betrothed, they were engaged. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now it's interesting that she was found, not found out to be pregnant. At this point in time, Mary is about four months pregnant. She spent the first three months of her pregnancy with her relative Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, who Pastor Phil talked about last week. 
And so she's about four months pregnant. And one thing that I have learned very palpably now that my wife is pregnant is that at about four months, 16 weeks, you can start to see the baby bump. And so it's not that Mary was trying to hide the baby from Joseph, but that Joseph saw before he heard that Mary was with child. Imagine that. Four months, Mary's already been pregnant, and she comes to Joseph, coming back from being with her relative Elizabeth, and he sees that she's put on a little weight. He knows that she's pregnant. And before she can speak, he finds out, or he finds that she's pregnant. This is huge. This is completely shattering to Joseph. And so before we dive into the drama of this moment, before we dive, which we're going to, before we dive into this circumstance, I want us to take a look at at Joseph real quick. There's not a lot written about Joseph, but Joseph is a pivotal person in Scripture. He plays a very, very important role, and I think he can be easily overlooked. In fact, when I think of Joseph, um, he is so overlooked, I would argue that he's possibly the most overlooked figure in the, the birth of Christ narrative. I think that I think more regularly of the wise men or even the shepherds than I do of Joseph. Apart from this moment in Scripture, um, Joseph is, just doesn't really come to my mind. I mean, sure, when you see the nativity, Joseph is there, but you're focused on Mary and Jesus. Maybe you, like me, just kind of think of Mary and Jesus and think of Mary as kind of a single mom who just raised Jesus. But that's not true. Joseph actually played a huge role. That Joseph was actually helping raise Jesus well into beyond when he was 12. Between, he, he died when, he was about, when Jesus was about 12 to 30, somewhere in between there. But what we, know about Jesus, or what we know about Joseph is that he was a carpenter and that he trained his son Jesus to become a carpenter so that he was able to spend continual time with Jesus. That this trade of carpentry was one that was passed down from Joseph's father to him. This was a family business. We also know that Joseph was a little bit older. He was older than Mary. It was pretty customary in this time for when, when you had someone who was betrothed to you, um, that the, the husband was significantly or partially older than the woman or girl, as we would say it, that he was marrying. So Joseph was actually like 10 to 15 years older than Mary. Mary was only about 14 years old. Joseph was in his late 20s, early 30s, which can seem really weird in our context today. But it was, it was incredibly normal in this context. So he's older And then what we see here is that in verse 19, it says that he was faithful to the law. Joseph was faithful to the law. He was a righteous man. And the reason that it says that he was faithful to the law is because he had spent his life listening to, obeying, being submissive to the law of the Torah. He was educated. He knew what the law said, and he was obedient. And this was something that took a lifetime. This is a reputation that took a lifetime to build. This wasn't something that just happened. This was a reputation that he had to to start with obedience to parents and then rigorous, vigilant obedience to the law. Joseph was a righteous man. And in the small village that he lived in, he was a just and sought after and respected man. And so this righteous, just, sought after, respected man finds out that his soon-to-be wife is pregnant. And so we zoom back in as if it was an episode of Maury, and we see that there's this, there's a situation, and it's like, woman claims that the baby is from God. 
husband doesn't believe it. Um, and so you see this, this moment where there's this tension here and that Mary is, is confronting her husband. Or, well, and this time, we'll, we'll explain that in just a little bit, why he's listed as a husband and not just a fiancé. But as they're confronting each other, he's faced with this incredible circumstance that he doesn't believe. And we see that he doesn't believe that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit because it's pretty unbelievable, isn't it? That, and what's wild is sometimes we can look at this, this story, we can look at this account, and we can read it as if it was a fairy tale. We can look at this account in Scripture and we can read it as if it wasn't true. It's was just something that we read over Christmas. And that's how everyone was blessed by Christmas. Have a wonderful Sunday. But what we see is that the same doubts that we have in our day that Jesus could really be fully God and fully man, that there was an immaculate conception and that the virgin gave birth to Jesus is the same doubt that Joseph has. The same skepticism, it was unbelievable to them in that day as well. And for Joseph, this is truly unbelievable because it is unbelievable. And so Joseph is faced with this circumstance. But let's see how he responds. I think if I think about what you would do if you were engaged and you found out that your fiance was pregnant and you clearly knew that you were not the father. What would you do? But what we see that Joseph does is really, really profound. Joseph pauses and he thinks. He doesn't react. He doesn't get caught up in the emotion. You can imagine what Joseph was feeling. He probably felt betrayed. How could you do this to me? He probably felt like she thought he was an idiot. You really think that I'm going to believe that you had a baby by God? How dumb do you think I am? He probably felt hurt. Do you know how much I love you, Mary? Probably felt angry. Do you know what this is going to do to us? But instead of responding in his emotions, he pauses and he thinks. What's crazy is that what we read in Luke, when the angel of the Lord comes to Mary, she does the same thing. Pastor Hannibal talked about this a few weeks ago, that Mary, when she receives the news that she is going to be pregnant, she thinks. And we are to do the same thing when we face uncertain, unfortunate circumstances. Instead of getting lost in the emotion, we need to think. You see, Joseph's theology shaped his praxeology. What I mean by that is what he knew about God shaped the way he lived through life's circumstances. That the way he understood God, the way he obeyed the law, was superior to the way he felt about the things in his life. That he had pressed God's word so deeply into his heart that even though he felt all of these emotions, his response wasn't one that was rash. It wasn't one that was ridiculous, but it was one that was patient. He patiently thought. Could that be said of us? When, when we experience disappointment, when we experience betrayal, when we experience hurt, when we experience embarrassment, how do we respond? You can see pretty quickly driving through traffic that when you get so angry that someone cuts you off, you believe that you have a right to be the king of your kingdom. 
when someone says something to you that just gets under your skin. That person at work who just annoys you so much. You see that we all have a longing to be the king of our own kingdom. And so instead, we respond rashly and harshly. We end up saying things that we wished we wouldn't. We do things that we regret and we hurt the people around us. Because when we live in a way that our praxeology shapes our theology, instead it's we respond to life circumstances and then understand God afterwards. So instead of saying, God, how could you do this to me? He thinks, what am I going to do with this? So what pauses us? What causes us to, to not respond with thinking? What causes us to act rashly? What causes us to say things that we regret? What causes us to act in a way that we wished we wouldn't? Well, I think there's a few things. I think the first thing is pride. And I touched on that just a moment ago. We think that we deserve to be the kings of our own kingdom. We think too highly of ourselves. And so we act in a way and we react to unfortunate circumstances in our lives out of the pride inside us. If we receive bad news or conflict with someone else, we believe that we know the information so we can act accordingly. We truly believe that we are just or at least justified in our actions, don't we? We believe that it's okay if we do this because we were wrong. So they deserve to know how much I hurt or at least to hurt as much as I hurt. Sometimes we don't just act in a, in a pride of thinking too highly of ourselves. Other times we act in a pride of thinking too lowly of ourselves. And so we respond to life circumstances and go, yeah, I deserve that. Yeah, I need that. And we assume the pain. And we actually hold this pain as an idol. We hold on to the hurt that we experience as if it was God. And you know these people because they're constantly talking about the problems in their life. They're constantly looking for your pity because their pain is their idol. And really, it's a false form of pride. It's still all about being the king of your kingdom. You are still the central person in your world. Pride keeps us from patiently pondering, from patiently thinking through. Pride causes us to ask, why God would you do this to me? The other reason, I think, is impatience. We live in an instant gratification society. If Amazon is three days, I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. I can get it in 24 hours. I'm not going to go to the store. We live in an instant gratification community. We want immediate results. We want things to be dealt with quickly. I don't know if you're like me, but I love checklists. and I love checking things off the list. And when conflict comes, I know my tendency, maybe yours, is to deal with it right now. That's not how everyone works. That's frankly not how my wife works. So when we have conflict, it's really difficult. Because I'm like, all right, let's sit down. Let's hash this out right now. Let's deal with this. And I try to fix things. I try to step in and check off the list saying, okay, now we're good. Thank you, Lord. You're welcome. I did this. Take a bow. But really, this impatience is a lack of trust. It's a lack of trusting God for his faithfulness. It's a lack of trusting God in his goodness. It's a lack of trusting God in his sovereignty. Instead, we assume that things should work on our time instead of his. And so we don't ponder, we don't think because we are proud and because we are impatient. And that impatience is a lack of trust. But we see that's not at all what Joseph does. That Joseph was patient and he pondered to come to a resolution. And so that's where we get to our second point, this plan 
that Joseph comes up with. This plan that he ponders through. As he thinks, actually in some translations it says that he resolved. In the NIV it says that he made up, an, or he had in his mind. But in other translations, the ESV and some others, it says that he resolved. He, he came to resolution. He came to conclusion. Okay, here's the circumstance in front of me. This is what I'm facing. Now here's what I'm going to do about it. Here's how I'm going to respond to this. And what's crazy, his response is remarkable. His response is unbelievable. His response is profound. Because Joseph's response is mercy. Joseph truly believes that his fiance, his betrothed beloved, has cheated on him. And his response is instead of disgrace, it's to show mercy. He chooses to divorce instead of disgrace her. Now, divorce, you might go, well, why couldn't he just like break up with her? They weren't married yet. And this is where I'm going to talk about the whole betrothal process in that time. When, when two people came together and they were going to get married, usually it was or in this betrothal setting, there was a contractual agreement. So they were, they were legally husband and wife. Joseph and Mary were legally husband and wife. And during this betrothal period, the husband would go away for a year to prepare the home for his new bride. And so for, this, for an entire year, the, the husband would be working and working and working to set up the home. They couldn't actually fulfill any of the, the um, benefits of being married, but they were waiting for that until the wedding celebration. So after a year's time, they would come together and they would have the wedding celebration, the wedding feast, where they could fully experience the benefits and beauties of being married. But during this time, if you were going to break off the engagement, if you're going to break off the wedding, the only way to do that was through divorce. The only way to break off this wedding was by divorcing your spouse. Also during that time is if you were sexually involved before the wedding day, it was considered adultery. And so this is a severe thing. So it took rigorous, faithful, vigilant pursuit. And it seems like Joseph is coming here and saying, I've held up my end. You failed to hold up yours. And to make it even further than that, the reason that he would have to divorce her is because actually the, the penalty for adultery in the Levitical law was death. Death by stoning. For if it was one person, then it was the perpetrator, the person who did the wrong. And if both were guilty, then they both died. Ridiculous. Wild. So what Mary is facing is severe. But we actually see God's provision even in this moment. We see God providing for both Mary and Joseph even in this moment because the Romans are ruling the whole, whole of Judea at this point. So the Jews are under Roman rule and the Romans had outlawed the death penalty for adultery. So the only thing that you could do was divorce. So God actually worked through the Roman Empire to protect this, this woman Mary that he was going to set up to bear the child, the savior of the world. So there was never an option for Mary to be killed, but she could be divorced and disgraced. Now, Joseph had every right to publicly disgrace Mary. Because this was a contractual agreement and because she didn't fulfill her end of it, Joseph, to make sure that everybody knew that he wasn't unfaithful, could publicly shame and disgrace her, take her to a public court and divorce her and say, look at what she's done. She is unsuitable to be wed. 
And in fact, actually, because she had been unfaithful, she was no longer eligible because she was no longer a virgin. She was no longer eligible to be a part of a faithful or, or a, a legal marriage. So if, if Joseph was to actually marry her, he would assume her shame. But because she has been supposedly unfaithful, he had every right to publicly disgrace her. And in publicly disgracing her, he could also take everything she was worth. He could leave her destitute. He could take her inheritance. She wouldn't be able to get a job. She wouldn't be able to have a home. She would have to raise this child and it would basically be a fate worse than death. She'd be an outcast immediately in her society. But Joseph instead chooses mercy. It's radical. That wouldn't have happened normally. Joseph chooses not to publicly disgrace her, but to quietly divorce her. In his pondering, in his thinking, in his patience, he sees the need for mercy. But at this moment, this is where God shows up. I find it interesting that God doesn't show up before all of this takes place, right? God doesn't show up before Joseph experiences all of the stress, pain, and confusion of the moment. God shows up after Joseph has already made his plan. God could have come to him when he came to Mary. He could have said, hey, just so you know, your fiance is going to have a baby. Don't worry. I took care of it all. She has not been unfaithful. It's fine. But instead, four months go by and Joseph finds out after he's already been dealing with this pain, this heartache, this hurt, this betrayal. After he comes up to a plan and resolves in his mind for divorce. This is when God shows up. God often doesn't show up in our timing. He shows up in his timing. And you might be wondering, why would God allow Joseph to suffer like this? Why would he allow Joseph to, to struggle through this? And the answer is, I have no idea. It's a really theological answer for you. I don't know. I don't know why he did it, but I know that his timing is perfect. I know that his grace is sufficient. And I know that the plan that he has for Joseph is beyond what he could have ever expected. You see, Joseph was willing to offer Mary mercy, but God wants him to offer Mary grace. Joseph was willing to dismiss her shame, but he wasn't willing to take on her shame. Joseph was willing to let her struggle privately, but he is saying, bring her in and struggle personally. He is asking Joseph to take on Mary's shame. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And the reason that he can show this grace, the reason that he can extend this type of love is because the person that Mary is bearing is Jesus. And he is going to save his people from their sin. You see, Joseph is a recipient of grace. And so are we. Joseph is a recipient of miraculous grace. And this child that he is going to adopt is going to be his own savior. And so he can bear, he can embrace, he can take on the shame that is associated with Mary. Even though Mary was faithful. Can you imagine the conversations afterwards as, Mary's, as Joseph is trying to explain, yeah, this is my wife Mary and I know she's pregnant, but I didn't do it. Actually, the Lord did. Cool. This guy's so dumb. Or they think he's a liar and his whole reputation is sacrificed. 
The whole reputation that he has built of being a faithful man, faithful to the law, is completely tarnished because no one's going to believe that he didn't have an affair. No one's going to believe that he and Mary waited. No one's going to believe that that isn't his child. And so he sacrifices his reputation. He also sacrifices his security because in being the father of Jesus, he, in, he incurs some danger. In the next chapter, he actually has to flee to Egypt to keep his child alive. But then we also see that Joseph has to sacrifice the authority he has as a father to name his son. That Joseph is actually going to adopt Jesus, legally adopt this boy to be his child. And the father would have the right then to name the child, but he can't because Jesus already had a name. That Joseph doesn't get to do the naming because Jesus came to do the naming. Joseph doesn't get to be the one to, to declare that this is my son. Jesus is coming to say that this is my son. And so he names him Jesus. So what do we do when in our suffering, in our circumstances, in our pain, we experience things that don't go quite the way that we planned? We can respond in anger. We can respond in frustration. We can respond in, in agony. I think one thing that's wild is in, in James chapter 1, it says this. In James chapter 1, verse 19, if you put it on the screen, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because the human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. What's interesting is that the author of this, James, his parents are Joseph and Mary. That James actually got to see this displayed in his father, Joseph. James got to hear about the faithfulness of Joseph. James, all the J's. James got to hear the story of what happened with Joseph and his wife, Mary. And he got to see the sacrifice, the patience, the faithfulness, even in the midst of opposing shame, even in the midst of of losing his reputation, even in the midst of suffering. So what keeps us from responding in that way? What prevents us from stepping into shame, from entering into shame, from extending mercy and grace? And Paul David Tripp writes this, if you put this quote on the screen, Paul David Tripp in one of his devotionals, uh, he has an Advent devotional, he says this, one of the dark character qualities of sin is that we don't, that we don't recognize as much as we should is unwillingness. We're often unwilling to do what God says if it doesn't make sense to us. We're often unwilling to inconvenience ourselves for the needs of someone else. We're regularly unwilling to wait. We're often unwilling to be open and honest. We're too often unwilling to consider the loving rebuke of another. We struggle to be willing to say no to our own wrong thoughts and desires. We often struggle to be willing to answer God's ministry call. Often we're unwilling to admit that we're wrong. And often, we struggle to serve willingly and to give generously. Unwillingness is one of sin's powerful, damaging results. And so we don't respond with mercy or grace because we're unwilling to inconvenience ourselves. I'm willing to make sure that you don't have shame, but I don't want to take it on myself. And we are unwilling. So now that we've seen the unfortunate circumstance that Joseph was facing— and this unexpected plan that the Lord has for Joseph to be the father of Jesus, that, this is, that even though he was skeptical, that this is truly his son, that this is Jesus, this is the savior of the world, and that he gets to adopt him, now we get to look at the unfathomable grace that Joseph receives. 
You see, Joseph thought that he was the extender of grace, but really he's the recipient of grace. Oftentimes we think that we are the extenders of grace, but really we are the recipients of grace. Because this Jesus, his son, is going to save his people from their sins. And what Matthew puts in here that we don't know if Joseph ever knew was that this all took place to fulfill what the Lord, or what the Lord had said through the prophets, that the virgin would conceive and give birth to a son and would call him Emmanuel. And he would be God with us. That this is God with us. That the grace that Joseph needs wasn't grace from outside enemy, it was grace from an inside enemy. The grace that Mary needed wasn't a grace from the outside oppression, but from the sin that was captivating her heart. The grace that you and I need isn't from outside forces, but from our own depravity. The grace that we need is found in Jesus Christ, because he will save the people from their sins. He is the extender of grace. And we see that Joseph is actually pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to this person who he's going to adopt as his son and that Jesus is the greater Joseph. Jesus is the greater Joseph. See, Joseph was faithful to the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. See, Joseph was willing to embrace disgrace. Jesus became disgrace for us. Joseph was willing to adopt Jesus as his son. Jesus came to adopt us as sons and daughters into an eternal kingdom. Joseph went to prepare a place for his bride. Jesus is going to prepare a home for us, and he is coming soon to claim us in the wedding supper of the Lamb. Joseph was willing to endure suffering. Jesus endured the suffering and shame of the cross. Jesus, Joseph felt betrayed. Jesus was betrayed. Joseph felt rejected. Jesus was forsaken by his father. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. Jesus is the greater Joseph. Jesus is the one who saves. This is all about him. And when this totally captivated Joseph's mind, we see that it transformed his life. In the very next verses in 24, it says that Joseph woke up and did exactly what the angel had commanded. And it wasn't just an immediate obedience, it was a continual obedience. That through every suffering, through every trial, through every circumstance that he faced, he continued to shepherd, to protect, and to care for Jesus. But in the end, it was Jesus who shepherded, protected, and cared for Joseph. And he's the same shepherd who's protecting and caring for us. To the degree that you understand the grace of Jesus Christ, to that same degree, you will go and extend that grace to others. To the degree that you understand the obedience of Christ coming as flesh, dwelling among us, to that same degree, we will be obedient to the plans of the Lord. We have received unfathomable grace. Paul David Tripp later on writes this. I'll conclude with this. So here's what the Christmas story is all about. A willing Savior born to rescue unwilling people from themselves because there was no other way. Jesus was willing to leave the splendor of eternity to come into this broken and groaning world. He was willing to take on human flesh with all of its frailty. He was willing to endure the ignominious birth in a stable. He was willing to go through the dependency of childhood. He was willing to expose himself to all the hardships of life in this fallen world. 
He was willing to submit to his own law. He was willing to do his father's will at every point. He was willing to serve, even though he deserved to be served. He was willing to be misunderstood and mistreated. He was willing to endure rejection and gross injustice. He was willing to preach a message that would cause him personal harm. He was willing to suffer public mockery. He was willing to endure physical torture. He was willing to go through the pain of his father's rejection. He was willing to die. He was willing to rise and ascend and be our constant advocate. Jesus was willing. You see, it's not just the Christmas story, but rather the entire redemptive story that hinges on this one thing, the eternal willingness of Jesus. Without his willingness, you and I would be without hope and without God. We have Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us in our pain and our suffering He's with us in our failures and our sin. He's with us in our joys and our triumphs. God with us. Unfathomable grace. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you. We thank you. We worship you because you have given us your son, Jesus. You have given us the blessing of grace that even though we don't deserve it, you've extended it to us. Lord, I pray that this grace would sink deep into our hearts so that it would transform the way we think, the way we act. Lord, whenever we get um, the temptation to become proud, to defend ourselves, Lord, we need to remember that you humbled yourself, that you were submissive to your own law, that you were rejected by the Father, that you took on the cross and that you are our advocate, that you have made a way for salvation. We praise you, Lord. We praise you for Christmas. In your name we pray, amen.